Hi, and welcome to The Meme. I'm Ryan Huber, and with me, as always, is Nicholas Seagraves. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. Today, this day, on The Meme, we're going to be talking about episode 23. Actually, this is episode 23. We're going to be talking about fallacies. And Nick is a logician of the, the highest quality. So, Nick, why don't you give us a, a, a little bit of an introduction to what exactly a fallacy is, maybe some of the different types of fallacies, and then we can just uh, dive in full tilt to a discussion of our favorite fallacies. Yeah. Um, well, a fallacy is just a way in which certain arguments appear better than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, at the most basic level, it's just faulty reasoning, mm -hmm. but it's more than just faulty reasoning. It's like a widespread, maybe it seems true if you glance over it, but upon further reflection, you realize that there's some type of logical inconsistency within mm -hmm. it. All right. Um, well, I'll give you a formal definition of a formal fallacy, and then you explain to us in, in plain English what that means. Okay. A formal fallacy from Wikipedia, which is always right about everything, by the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A formal fallacy is an error in logic that can be seen in the argument's form. All formal fallacies are specific types of non sequiturs. Mm -hmm. So what they're talking about with formal fallacies is that when they say a form of an argument, they're talking about its validity. Mm. So I think a good, um, a good rule of thumb to remember is that Arguments can be valid and they can be sound. A valid argument means that it's logical. Mm -hmm. um, a sound argument means that it's true. So, so, when, so like a valid argument could be um, premise A, there are such things as Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. Premise B, things that are Ninja Turtles like pizza, therefore Ninja Turtles like pizza. Yes. That's a, that's a valid argument, right? That's a valid argument. If it, you know, I'm sure it's some logic expert will be like somewhere, but in terms of like basic reasoning, that's a valid argument. It's not a sound argument because Ninja Turtles don't exist unless we're talking about abstract objects, which is just a huge can of worms. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like being real world being, they do not exist. Mm -hmm. So it's a valid, um, but not a sound argument. Yeah. And likewise, arguments can be sound and not valid. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the uh, the type of formal uh, fallacy that we'll probably talk about most today, affirming the consequent, mm -hmm. which is basically um, if A, then B, therefore, uh, if A, then B, separate statement, B, then A. Mm -hmm. So basically saying, like, if A happens, then B, and then you're like, well, that means that if B, then A. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, which... if I shoot you in the face, you will die. Therefore, mm -hmm. if you die, I have shot you in the face. Yes, that's, you know, we can see why it's unreasonable, because if I die, there's, pro there's a multitude of ways that a mm -hmm. person can die. I'm going to give you the um, stupid uh, formal definition of affirming the consequent, just so people can see how stupid logic classes are. Okay. The antecedent in an indicative conditional is claimed to be true because the consequent is true. If A, then B. B, therefore A. Mm -hmm. Thanks, oh. definitions. Thank you, guys. So, so clear. My gun, so clear. My, my gun example is much more helpful, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Um, so if an argument has that structure, um, then it is invalid. It's not... It, the, the, its form, its actual logical form doesn't make sense. But in the real world, it, an argument could be if I shoot you, you'll die. You died, I shot you. And if we actually, you know, if I died and you actually shot me, then it, I mean, it's a sound argument. It's true. Mm -hmm. But it's not valid. But it's not valid. So there's that. Um, yeah. And once you move to informal fallacies, which are more fun, which are more fun because you're actually talking about 
the content usually. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, it still definitely has mm-hmm. a lot to do with methodology, mm-hmm. but there's a, spe- a special emphasis on what the mm-hmm. content of an argument is. Here's the Wikipedia definition for your perusal. Informal fallacies. Arguments that are fallacious for reasons other than the structural formal flaws and usually require examination of the argument's content. Okay, so I did a pretty good job with that. I'm yeah, not you lie. nailed it. You nailed yeah. it. It's about Thank the content, you. not about the form. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Plato yeah, is not amused. <laughs> um, but it's it's the it's the ones that most people have heard of. So straw man, mm-hmm. begging the question, ad hominem. I think those would probably be the three most popular that I can think of. Um, yeah, right ad, ad hominem is probably the most common form of argument on the internet. I would yes. yes. So our argumentum ad hominem is the evasion of the actual topic by directing an attack at your opponent. I'll give you an example. Uh, on Twitter, I'm rather active on Twitter politically. Most of the time when you say something like um, uh, Donald Trump's foreign policy is based in fantasy rather than in reality, the response is, go blank yourself, you blanking liberal. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not really an argument, but if it were, it would be an argumentum ad hominem. Um, Or you're just jealous that he's the front runner. And you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows you, so there isn't like a hard and fast logical mm-hmm. in terms of formal logic rule. That's like, you can't talk about the arguer, you know, blah. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it in terms of reasonable debate, obviously, you know, what we're talking about, all of these fallacies in their recognition, help us remember and help us clarify that we're actually talking about something. So I think informal fallacies like ad hominem can, they're kind of like, Hey, we're not actually talking about the thing that we're debating. So there's Mm -hmm. that, like Mm -hmm. a lot of them can fit into, you know, we're talking about if Donald Trump's foreign policy is realistic. Well, what I'm actually going to start talking about is how you are an awful person. So Mm -hmm. you can just see from that, Mm -hmm. that, it doesn't, it doesn't match up. So, mm-hmm. you know, LOL. So I thought maybe we could talk about some of our, our favorite kinds of informal fallacies and maybe times in our lives where we've run into them or just kind of hilarious um, situations in popular culture where we get um, some of these fallacies. So I'll go ahead and start uh, because um, some of these are really juicy and I just want to go first. Okay. Where I want to start is with begging the question. And begging the question is perhaps one of the most uh, poorly misunderstood or, or understood or misunderstood uh, logic or logical informal fallacies. Um, I don't think people know what it means. So I just wanted to mm-hmm. put it out there first. Begging the question, it, it, it's a form of circular reasoning, correct? Yeah. It's providing what is essentially the conclusion of the argument as a premise. It's what you see in David Hume's argument about miracles. Basically, mm-hmm. he kind of sneaks it in there. Uh, it's what you see in most arguments between atheists and theists uh, is a lot of begging the question. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. you grant your own premise in the beginning of your argument, and then you go through however complex or however beautiful or however legitimate an argument, but essentially you arrive at a conclusion that has already been provided by your premise. Yeah. You grant your conclusion at the beginning of the argument. I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone grants their premises, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You grant your conclusion as a premise. (laughs) Yeah. The conclusion is kind of inserted into the premise. It can also be used in a way of, of creating loaded questions. Mm-hmm. So like the question, how often do you beat your wife mm-hmm. yeah. is, is something that 
the there's already this assumption that you are beating your wife mm-hmm. so it's you're kind of begging the you you've already made a conclusion mm-hmm. and so but you still go through the motion you seemingly go through the motions of engaging with somebody even yep. though you're not so that's so. related to circular reasoning which is when the reasoner begins with what he or she is trying to end up with sometimes called assuming the conclusion Anytime that your argument is based upon assuming what you're trying to prove, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Faux show. <laughs> and it can be harder than you think. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes you uncover um, certain premises that only make sense if the conclusion is assumed. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I've had arguments with people where they'll make distinctions between two things. Like it's okay for this to happen and it's not okay for that to happen. And that's just one of their premises, Mm -hmm. but you have to do a little digging to be like, well, what creates that distinction? It's like, Oh, well it's the thing I'm arguing for, you know? So it's like, there's, it can be a little tricky. Very rarely is it just, I already know what I'm saying is true. So let's have an argument. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's good. What are some of yeah. your uh, What are some of your favorite informal fallacies? Yeah, I like the uh, the continuum fallacy, our fallacy of the beard, our <laughs> uh, sand. I just like I was. I guess I liked it because reference to beards. Yeah, but but it's basically it talks about beards and sands uh, and sand, not sands. Um, because in in philosophy, there's been a lot of discussion between when does a collective object become that object? Mm-hmm. So like, when, when is, do you have a beard and when do you have scruff, you know, like, mm-hmm. is it one, is it literally one facial hair mm-hmm. or a pile of sand versus grains of sand? Like when does something become a pile of something mm-hmm. and when is it just a collection of things? And basically the, the fallacy is you not even, it would be like someone being like, we are not, we can't talk about beards because they're too vague, you know, like they're mm-hmm. too, it's like, they're too vague of a term to discuss. So it's when someone. Yeah. It's improperly rejecting a claim for being imprecise. Yeah. So, so. it's, it's when you talk about big things like. So like uh, when does, yeah. when does, you know, mass immigration become a an epidemic you know like when when you're trying to when you're trying to have large conversations about well you know oh i'll give you i'll give you a real one that might not be this particular um that might not be particular this particular fallacy but it's related um like when is something a genocide like Mm -hmm. that's like a big argument like right now christians in the middle east are being killed because they're christians in large mm-hmm. numbers and the, the the administration is kind of doing like a like a one-two step around it because they don't want to have to commit because like by mm-hmm. geneva convention and, and other international law un resolutions like genocides have to be dealt with by the by the world community but like when is something a genocide and so you could argue like well it's not a genocide because it hasn't like it's not the holocaust like it's not even mm-hmm. rwanda uh it's not even the armenian genocide but it's one of these things where, like, how many people have to die because of who they are before we call something a genocide? Is that, does that fit under this continuum kind of a, a fallacy? Yeah. Well, it's basically like saying, we, I'm not even going to listen to your argument because your terms aren't defined well enough for me, mm-hmm. which, and that's why it says falsely. So it's like, in terms of something like a genocide, in terms of something like a beard, there isn't a hard and fast line, mm-hmm. you know? So it would be like someone having a conversation about pornography and then going on and on about how hard it is to have like a, a objective line when something is pornographic, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. we all know that. Um, yeah. So like, we all like, we are still, it is still possible to have a discussion of this. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about some of the circular reasoning, begging the question kind of fallacies. 
We've talked about um, the continuum fallacy and some formal fallacies. What are some of the fallacies that you run into most often in everyday conversation about, you know, when you're in the coffee shop, when you hear people, when you overhear people talking about philosophy or politics or, or whatever, what are, what are some of the things that kind of just get under your skin or make you chuckle to yourself as someone who deals in, in logic? Um, the Nirvana fallacy, which is, I guess, how um, Wikipedia puts it. Um, I've heard one of my professors call it a, a perfection fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically like, if something isn't perfect, yeah. then it's wrong. <laughs> so like people do this all the time. I mean, I just call it making the perfect, the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. It, it's basically like if the solution to this problem isn't 100% thought out, mm-hmm. perfect, mm-hmm. completely realizable, has no compromise every single party gets exactly what they want to a T mm-hmm. then we need to just keep brainstorming mm-hmm. and figuring it out. So it's very, very, very scary. Another way I think about it is I call I, in my own head, I call it the compared to what fallacy mm-hmm. or someone's like, this is disgust. Like if someone's reading the, the letters of the apostle Paul, mm-hmm. it notices like some of the things that are less feminist about them. Mm-hmm. Be like Paul hated women, and I just go compared to what, <laughs> like compared to a society that's been based on his writings for two thousand years, or like compared to the society he was living in. Mm-hmm. Like exactly, like when we're talking about something, I mean to compare any proposed plan or movie or piece of art or solution or argument to compare it to a perfect argument is almost always completely invalid for me because very rarely in our world do we find perfect solutions to things. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that all the time. People are like, you'll, you'll propose a solution and people say, yeah, well that has a weakness. Like, yes, it does have a weakness. Of course yeah. it has a weakness because it's an actual solution. Exactly. Um, I think some other really easy ones anecdotal arguments are like how i think 90 percent of people think arguments work mm-hmm. especially in politics like my yeah. mom said this one time yeah so that, that's i this had is, this is the grounds experience. for a national policy yeah i met a syrian refugee who was a rapist which Okay, so let's let's talk about the whole, like, deceptive logicalness of it. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're having this debate, let's say we're in, like, a Norwegian co- country, and our, our Germany, and we're saying, what are we, what are we going to do with refugees? In- By Norwegian country, do you mean Norway? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, and so, I didn't want to say her name, um, but... <laughs> Let's say we're in a it, Danish country. Let's say we're in a Danish or Norwegian or Swedish country. And, <laughs> you know, we're having a debate on, like, are these refugees good for our society? How long can we support this? Mm-hmm. And someone stands up and goes, my daughter was sexually assaulted by mm-hmm. three refugee men. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, on the surface, this looks like it's a very valid... Um, very relevant uh discussion to what what we're talking about you know like this is first-hand experience people like to use that term a lot or a a personal experience with something and i think that's fine in when you're making kind of like a personal decision Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about a logical argument yeah all, all that would have to be said is someone going, well, I've met refugees who are not rapists. Yep. And then you're literally at a standstill. Mm-hmm. There so you go. You, you, if you allow anecdotal evidence to become valid, mm-hmm. then anyone who has a story about anything mm-hmm. can shut down any argument. Yeah, they're equal. They're all equal. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you another one with uh, with American policy, like the, uh, a big argument that we've been having, which is a stupid argument because we can't reverse globalization, but it's the whole mm-hmm. like Donald Trump wanting to do a 35% trade tariff on China to punish it for currency manipulation, which really comes down to there are a bunch of people who used to have good jobs that don't exist anymore. 
mm-hmm. like working in a steel mill or in a factory or whatever. And uh, you hear all these these stories like, I used to have a great job and now I, I work at McDonald's. Um, mm-hmm. You can just say, well, yeah, there are people who didn't have good jobs and now they work in Silicon Valley. So, <laughs> you know, what's yeah. the, argue, the argument that globalization is bad because a person or a subset of people or a group of people have been hurt by it is easily contradicted by the fact that a much larger group of people, i.e. anybody who buys anything in the mm-hmm. United States actually benefit benefits from it. So your argument kind of falls apart, but most, most political ads are anecdotal. Yeah. Like this grandmother well, was hurt so by true. this policy change. Mm-hmm. And it seems like I said before, it seems very reasonable. You know, it seems like something that does make sense. Um, I think also another good one is, and this happens a lot with people who are not familiar with philosophy and then they hear about it Mm -hmm. and it's, it's like a false absurdity claim. Um, Oh yeah. This is absurd. Yeah. So I think Wikipedia and slash the philosopher's toolkit, which I, I was looking at earlier. I think they call it the appeal to the stone, which Mm -hmm. has like some cool Latin name that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who cares about. Litho Um, something. Yeah. Um, But what it it really is, is basically saying, well, that's absurd. And then like that, and then the end. Yeah, that's my argument. My argument is that your argument is absurd. Mm -hmm. So the appeal to the stone is a reference to Barclay and... um, Someone being like, it's well, com- here's it's my common sense, right? It's a common, it's a, an appeal to common sense, right? It's an appeal to common sense. Well, it doesn't even have to be that. It's literally just being like, well, this is completely crazy. And then like not giving a reason why it is crazy. Yeah. So in the, in the Barclayan analysis, like, you know, so Barclay comes out and says like, we're all an idea in God's mind. And yeah. some dude, I don't even remember his name is like, picks up a stone and throws it and goes, that's my art. That's my counter argument to you, you know? And it's kind of like this, you're being absurd, but there, but there's no engagement. Yeah. So there's no, yeah. it's just, it's just denial. Um, yeah. The internet equivalent of this is accusing someone of making a category error <laughs> without explaining why they're making a category error, yeah, especially if you're talking to a Calvinist. Yeah. I don't even know what people mean by that anymore you're making a category you're just telling me yeah. i'm wrong in different language yeah. you don't actually you can't actually tell me why i'm making a category error because an example of a category error would be like a student in a classroom who barely speaks english being like can um one three five banana Mm-hmm. One like putting in terms in different systems that don't really fit together. Like it's basically saying that you're speaking nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it's which, basically like, telling someone they're a moron. Yeah, you're, it's not. It's not even like a, a real category error. Is like you know, I think when sometimes people argue, they like bring in these. Like my favorite is like freshman philosophy papers, where it's like it starts off with a sentence sentence in quantum mechanics, comma, and then like. <laughs> And then it just like it's like goes on this like tyrannical rampage of like the dismantling of it, the history of Western thought because you know is a cat in a room if you're not looking at it or some nonsense that has like I'm I am almost sure very little to do with the actual study and science of quantum mechanics, um, but it's kind of like it's basically thinking that when. Albert Einstein created a general theory of relativity that by the word relativity, we now can talk about morals because of it. It's kind of like just shifting things without Mm -hmm. any consideration of what they're actually talking to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So one of my favorite fallacies, um, I like to think of it as a Clinton fallacy that the Clintons Mm -hmm. have been doing this since like 1990 um, is the moving the goalposts fallacy or raising the bar. So that's an argument in which evidence presented in response to a specific claim is dismissed and some other often greater evidence is demanded. So like the Hillary Clinton's been doing this with her email server scandal. Mm -hmm. When when she, when she says, um, 
no classified emails were ever kept on a server. And people are like, yeah, but these emails are classified and they were kept on your server. No emails marked as classified at the time were ever kept on the server. Actually, these um, these were supposed to be understood by you as the Secretary of State to be classified because of the contents help. The classification system that our government uses is outdated and ridiculous. <laughs> like it's like yeah. this, this things keep on moving. You can never and there's a related kind of thing they do, which isn't a logical fallacy, but it's hilarious in which a Clinton will make a claim or or Clinton will do something and someone will bring it up and say, Are you going to, to address it? I guess you just call it buying time. And they'll say, mm -hmm. well, we don't have all the facts. We're looking into that. And then it gets brought up a, a month later. Well, you know, we're really, we're doing an investigation. We don't want to comment on it right now. All the facts aren't in. We just have to wait. And then like six months later, they keep on putting up, keep on putting it up. So I'll be like, Secretary Clinton, what about the, uh, the Benghazi thing? Why are people always bringing up the past? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> it's like, just, yeah. just buy time, stall, 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 stall. And then be like, that happened like two years ago. Mm -hmm. I just love it. I, lo I love the Clintons because they're so good at it. Yeah. Smart, smart ladies over there. Yeah. Bill's going to be the best first lady. Can't wait. Knock on wood, though, am I right? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of some other ones that are pretty common. Well, fallacy of the single cause is pretty good. That's causal mm -hmm. oversimplification. It is assumed that there is one simple cause of an outcome when in reality it may have been caused by a number of only jointly sufficient causes. Like when somebody goes, you know, even if you can prove, well, let, let's talk about a, a more basic um, example is uh, people implying causation with, with correlation. Mm -hmm. So if you say in this city, when there are high rates of graffiti, there are also high rates of murder. Therefore, and you could do it either way, therefore murder causes graffiti or graffiti causes murder. Mm -hmm. That kind of a thing. It's related to that because when you see two things happening at the same time, it's, it's tempting to imply causation for your argument specifically, right? So yeah. where there is poor education, for me, where there is poor education, there is poverty. I want to go look how poor education causes poverty. Someone else could just as easily say with, you know, if we're not appealing to st statistical evidence could say, well, look how poverty causes poor education. Yeah. Um, but related to that is this fallacy of the single cause where we might be missing five or six other causes of things. Just because we see two factors related or correlated doesn't mean that those uh, factors are related causally in any way actually. Yeah. And it could be that there is a greater root cause uh, that we're not looking at. Kind of like when you and I were talking about poverty and single mothers and things of that nature, the single mother thing has been statistically proven to be one of the greatest root causes of poverty um, mm -hmm. over and against any racial divide. So if someone says, well, if you're, if you're black in America, you're more likely to be poor. That's true. There's a correlation, but the causation is actually deeper much of the time and it's not finishing high school having children before marriage not getting married at all having a single mother-led household those things have been statistically in we, i don't want to get into regression analysis but there are mm -hmm. ways to kind of statistically figure this out but the logical fallacy is well you are black therefore you're poor that's that's a fallacy there is not yeah. a single cause for poverty in the united states I agree with that. I think it's a good one. I, I hear stuff like that a lot. Tell us a little bit about the if by whiskey fallacy, because that's kind of a fun one. Yeah, that one's great. It's, 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 it's almost exclusively a political fallacy mm -hmm. because it's, it's, I don't think any person trying to make a formal argument would even want to do this. Um, yep. But it's basically, trying to appeal to two sides of something through um, almost like artistically redefining your terms. Mm -hmm. uh, so the famous, the, its namesake is from 
a politician in the South who is in a dry state and he is asked, you know, whether he supports his state uh, beginning to sell liquor or not. Um, and he goes into, if by whiskey you mean the devil's juice that, you know, turns men into beaters and women into whores and, mm-hmm. you know, destroys the church and blah, 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 then, then absolutely I am against it. If by whiskey you mean the thing that, you know, eases the pain of a broken heart and, mm-hmm. like, you know, flower, flowery mm-hmm. language. And it, at the end of it, it's, okay, so I don't... What are you? So are you for it or against it? It's so so it's like, it's kind of related to a straw man, right? Because a straw man argument mm-hmm. is where you take a certain position and you caricature it in a way that makes it weaker. And so if yeah. you a certain kind of if by whiskey fallacy is a straw man fallacy because you're trying to with rhetoric weaken your opponent's position by using emotionally sensitive language. Like like I'm gonna ask you a question and I want you to respond with an if by whiskey argument. Um, mm-hmm. Here we go. Nick, how do you feel about the religious freedom protection laws in Indiana? Mm-hmm. If you mean protecting the rights of everyday citizens who should not be forced to uh, produce political speech or ideology, then I'm completely for it. But if, Ryan, you mean the oppression of LGBTQ minorities in an already hostile environment and the shaming of their lifestyle in the public sphere, then no, I cannot support something like that. And scene. And scene. Very which good. Basically, Very yeah, good. which basically is me not getting at the core of either side, really. Mm-hmm. So and it's one of those things where it's like you are trying to please everybody and no one's and you're really like helping none. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like that. It's more of an evasive rhetorical tool i yeah. think than any type of serious argument mm-hmm. it's it's almost like a reverse straw man because you're trying to like highlight the least offensive things you can say about each side mm-hmm. to make it seem like you're for both mm-hmm. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um instead of as with a straw man highlighting and open and definitely over exaggerating it's a, an argument's more ludicrous are weak points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another great fallacy is proof by assertion, which Donald Trump does every mm-hmm. single day of his life. A proposition is repeatedly restated regardless of contradiction, sometimes confused with mm-hmm. argument from repetition, uh, an argumentum ad infinitum, uh, which, which uh, basically this kind of sphere of fallacy is... Mr. Trump, uh, every Mexican government official we've talked to has avowed that they will under no circumstances ever pay for a wall that you're proposing to build between Mexico and the United States. Here's the response. Oh, they're going to pay for the wall. Believe me. And it just got 10 feet taller. That's Mm -hmm. literally something he said in a presidential debate several times. So, sir, there's no evidence for the claim that you can make this happen. Oh, believe me, we're going to make it happen. That is in no way an argument. Yeah. It's proof by assertion or rep- repetition, depending on how you take it. Mm-hmm. It's, I'll, I'll get to some of, the, uh, some of the trickier ones. How about that? Let's do some, let's do some, um, some tricky ones. Ones that can seem very, very, very reasonable, but in a purely philosophical sense are not. Um, The um, genetic fallacy, I think Wikipedia defines it differently than the Philosopher's Toolkit and a couple other people that I've talked to. But from my understanding, whatever it's called, it's basically a fallacy where 
you look at the source of something, you look at its genesis mm-hmm. and, and judge its content. Yeah. So, um, a really popular example is like, um, what's a, what's a tabloid newspaper? The National Enquirer. The National Enquirer. So like, if the National Enquirer says Obama's been shot, okay, and there's like a big, stupid, oversaturated photo of his face on it, mm-hmm. or something, it is illogical to think in your head, well, this is a National Enquirer, so it can't, it can't be true, and that's the that's the crux. Um, so I, I think in other terms, it's oh, well, this person was, used to be a Nazi. Or, um... Or, like, if if David Duke says anything, we can't discount it because David Duke said it. Like, if Mm -hmm. if David Duke said, uh, NAFTA is hurting people, like the North American free trade area, NAFTA's hurting people, well, he may or may not be right, but he's not wrong because he's David Duke. Yeah. Which I feel like that's more of an appeal to authority. Um... But it's the same, it's the same, it, this is, the genetics policy is, like, the negative side of that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and it doesn't have to be, like, a discrediting, but it could be, like, well, this thing, you know, this person, or this system of thought, or this historical uh, uh, argument, whatever, has, comes from this and this and this, so it can't be right just because of where it comes from. When in reality, there's a possibility that the National Enquirer could be the first people to break a story about something. Yeah, I mean, TMZ know? has done it. Just because they're just hot garbage most of the time doesn't mean that they can't mm-hmm. break a news story. So the genetic yeah. fallacy the genetic fallacy is related to ad hominem attacks in certain ways. Like, it's not the mm-hmm. same thing, but attacking someone based on who they are or something about themselves isn't answering an argument or making an argument just in mm-hmm. the same way as attacking an argument because of its source doesn't negate that argument. Yeah. And most of these things, most of most of the fallacies really boil down to the simple question, okay, are you making an argument? You know, if your fallacy is one of circular reasoning, whether it's begging the question or assuming a conclusion or not, not accepting certain evidence because it's absurd, quote unquote, um, because you already know what you're trying to prove, you're, st- you're not actually making an argument. If it's addressing someone's personal credibility or the credibility of an expert that says that you're right or things like that, you're not making an argument. So it really, the, the most basic, I think, um, rule of thumb for a fallacy is simply, are you actually making an argument? Mm-hmm. And if not... And you, but you are present, presenting it as such. Then you are, then you are, you are, you're thinking is you're thinking like a, a fallacy. Yeah, and I basically. think maybe the category that we see the most in political speech or in debates or in contentious internet conversations um, are different versions of the red herring. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a red herring. A lot of people like to say the phrase red herring, but a red herring is where someone is trying to distract an audience mm-hmm. trying to like get everybody that's paying attention um, to pay attention to somebody, to something else uh, by deviating from a topic at hand um, by introducing something else by saying, Hey, look over here, look at this, look at this other argument. It, so basically it's not even addressing the argument. Um, it's trying to shift the ground to another argument that the speaker who's using the red herring so basically, if you and I are arguing about abortion and you say something about a medical procedure that's really hard for me to refute, you can kind mm-hmm. of resort to a completely unrelated argument about the government intruding upon the right of women to control their own bodies. Or mm-hmm. So it's basically a pivot, a rhetorical pivot away from a tough argument to an easier argument that may have nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's... It's, I think, as they, as the, the fallacies get more and more informal, mm-hmm. you can see that they become more and more uh, rhetorical mm-hmm. in nature. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, I mean, but in, in written form and written argument, I mean, I know Sam Harris does this a lot, actually, but 
um, it, it will be like, hey, we're talking about the possibility of a um, of the destruction of the Izot gap because of neurons or something, mm-hmm. and then suddenly there'll be this diatribe about ISIS. Yeah. You know? So it, it turns into this. I think maybe for being really charitable to people, they think, oh, well, this is applicable somehow. Um, and in reality, it's, it's, it, it really is just a distraction. Or, yeah, and I, I want to be clear that these kinds yeah. of distracting arguments are a category, and red herring, red herring is like a general category of thing. Any argument mm-hmm. that you're making that's supposed to distract or get people to go to another argument or trying to basically change the subject. It's in some ways a non sequitur. Um, Mm -hmm. These are red herrings. Like an ad hominem attack is a red herring. An appeal Mm -hmm. to authority is a red herring. So a lot of these arguments, when you look at them, they're red herrings if they're introduced in such a way as to distract from the argument at hand. So when you and I are arguing about something and I'm like, well, you said this, and you say, well, yeah, but you said this other thing like that. You're not you're not addressing what I said. Yeah. yeah. That happens. In and, mar- that happens in marriage a lot, by the way. It's a, it's a bad I, it's a bad thing to do. But it's like, well, you didn't take out the garbage. Well, you 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 promised me we'd go to Vegas. Like, it's yeah. like well, those two things have nothing to do with one another. When's the last time we just kissed? <laughs> um, I think. I, I think now, you know, we, when we finish, when we do podcasts, we like to close out with like, well, where do we go from here? I think it's hard to do that with this one besides like, don't use fallacies. Yeah. Look them all up and memorize them. And memorize sure. them and be a fallacy boy. Yeah. Um, like, do you want to talk a little bit about fallacy, man? I, that's what I'm getting into. I think what I'd like to spend this, the last moments of this on it just is the, the place of fallacies and how you need to be very careful with them. So mm-hmm. I think you go on Wikipedia, you go on the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, you read a book about fallacies, you take a logic class, and um, you see all these things that seem like, oh my gosh, maybe there aren't positive absolute truths, but it seems like there sure are negative absolute truths where you can say like, well, this will never, ever, ever be the case. Or this will, these look like hard and fast rules for thought that if I can just make this weird Frankenstein belief system that avoids these fallacies, mm-hmm. um, I'll be good. And even more than that, I think people are very, very, very quick to jump into labeling something as a fallacy when perhaps it is not. So a good example. If we are talking about Marilyn Manson's ability to ju- to talk up when he has arguments about how religion affects parent-child relationships bringing up his childhood might seem and has been accused of being an ad hominem attack mm-hmm. because you're referencing him the arguer however if his argument is based off of his childhood experiences as Marilyn Manson with mm-hmm. religion, mm-hmm. then bringing that up is not an ad hominem attack. Okay. You are engaging with the content of mm-hmm. his argument. Mm-hmm. So if you said something like, I, it would be ad hominem if it was like, well, you wasted your childhood. Like that's, mm-hmm. an, you're not making an argument. But if you said, I'm kind of doubting you had this experience. We have some evidence that you were not doing this or mm-hmm. your father wasn't doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a very good one too. Another, this has come up a lot on the, on the internets. There's a fallacy called, um, no true Scotsman. I think that's the one everyone was waiting for. I mean, this is, this is the big, the big one that I think has come around, um, in, in recent times quite often on the interwebs. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the definition and you can kind of explain how you've encountered this one. When a generalization is made true, only when a counterexample is ruled out on shaky grounds. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's saying some... Oh, sorry, the tamale guy is outside my window. That's perfectly fine. We're definitely keeping this in, because I I want that that tamale guy. And apparently a 16-ton truck as well. I've never in my life seen this. Um, 
basically it's the let's talk about its name Mm -hmm. so it's saying oh all scotsmen you know are really 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 nice people who eat very healthy and you say well here's a 800 pound person from scotland who is also an asshole yeah they someone would say oh, well, he's not truly a Scotsman. Because to be truly a Scotsman is to adhere to my definition. So you can already see it's circular reasoning. So you're, you're basically saying all Scotsmen are nice. This one isn't. Well, that's he's he can't be a Scotsman then because I already know all Scotsmen are nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's perfectly reasonable. And I think there's a lot of discussions where people will refuse to listen to things because they um, they just they know for a fact that no police officer ever in the history of the world could you know be violent for no particular reason you know they have a father who's in law enforcement mm-hmm. and they know seems like a form of anecdotal yeah, evidence. But could you yeah, give us? Yeah. Could you give us like a an example of like a prototypical internet argument in which somebody uses the no true Scotsman fallacy, and maybe give us both sides of it, yeah. like the person using it and the person calling it out, and how like sometimes it is a no true Scotsman fallacy, and sometimes it's not a no true Scotsman fallacy. Yes. So since it's the internet, let's talk about Hitler. Okay. Um. So sometimes people will go on the internet and say. It normally starts off with a conservative person saying, look at Stalin and, you know, Mao and see, like, this This is what atheists in government do. You know, they mm-hmm. are mass murderers mm-hmm. and they starve their people and blah, mm-hmm. blah. Yeah. And someone will say, Hitler was baptized in a church, mm-hmm. idiot. Hitler so was a Christian, obviously. Hitler was a Christian. And then... That normally leads to that conservative person saying, no, he wasn't. And then that leads to the very educated, slightly uh, liberal person saying, no true Scotsman, am I right, guys? DAE when you are smarter than everyone else, blah. Um, And it's great. In reality, though, this can be a very complicated thing. So... No True Scotsman works really great when you're talking about ethnicity or race. Mm -hmm. So if we were to say something like, no American is loud, and then someone says, here's a loud American, and if they were born in America, then we can't say that anymore. Okay, Mm -hmm. easy peasy, we're committing a fallacy to start trying to change the rules around. Mm -hmm. However, when you have an identity based off of belief, so... Let's say let's 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 do something very simple. Veganism, okay. Veganism is not a race. It's not genetic. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not even cultural. It's it's cross cultural. It can mm-hmm. be cultural, but anybody from any part of the world could become a vegan if they mm-hmm. had the opportunity. Um, and what defines a vegan is someone who doesn't eat animal products. Yeah. So if a vegan says. Vegans don't eat animal products. And someone says, look, this person says they're a vegan and they eat animal products. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly reasonable to sit for the vegan mm-hmm. to say no true no vegan, true vegan mm-hmm. would eat animal products. And that's not a fallacy. And that's not a fallacy because the defin- the identity has shifted. Mm-hmm. So a vegan is someone who gains identity through action or the lack mm-hmm. of action. And there's an objective standard. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's it's a less clearly objective standard as to what constitutes a Scotsman. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, the fallacy is saying the fallacy of the no true Scotsman argument when someone says, "Well, this person is this person is Scottish and they do X, Y, and Z," and I say, "Well, no true Scotsman would do that." What I'm what I'm saying is there are two different standards of what constitutes a Scotsman. And I'm saying you're using the wrong standard. What you're saying Mm -hmm. is this person's from Scotland and that's an objective. That person is from Scotland. What I'm saying is there's an ethos of what it means to be a Scotsman, which is Mm -hmm. actually more significant than the objective standard 
of being from Scotland. And that's a fallacy. I'm kind of substituting an ethos, which is somewhat subjective and messy for something that's Mm -hmm. a really clean line. And I'll give you, I'll give you like a real thing. C.S. Lewis talked about the fact that we shouldn't say that someone's not a Christian if they claim to be a Christian. Um, We should say they're a bad Christian because Mm -hmm. basically if someone says I'm a Christian, that's a subjective claim. We don't know whether or not they actually consider themselves a Christian, but we can say, Mm -hmm. well, you're not living according to a lot of these like standards that most Christians agree upon. You say things like Jesus is not the son of God and things of that nature. So to the extent that someone's violating the objective distinctions of what it means to be a Christian, we can say, well, you're a bad Christian, but it's very hard to say someone is not a Christian at all. And in the same, and in the same way, we might not be able to say someone's not a true Scotsman if they totally, let's say they hate haggis and they don't play golf and they don't have a, a thick Scottish accent and they, mm-hmm. they have nothing about, and they're not thrifty and they have not, and they don't drink whiskey and there's nothing about them. That's kind of culturally subjectively kind of Scott, Scott, they don't remind us of someone from Scotland, but they're from mm-hmm. Scotland. They're from Scotland. Well, we can't yeah. say, well, they're not a true Scotsman. We can say, well, they're, they're a Scotsman. They're just kind of a bad representation of what a Scotsman is. Yeah, And I think exactly. that, that would kind of sidestep this fallacy of no, no true Scotsman in the same way as the Hitler as Christian. Like, did he follow the teachings of Jesus Christ? Did, did he love his neighbor as himself? Did he, mm-hmm. you know, have a personal kind of every day? Did he pray and read the Bible? And, you know, are, are these things kind of evident in his life? But we can say, well... I don't know whether or not Hitler was a true Christian, but what I can say is a lot of the things he did and said don't align with this historical understanding of what Christian, the core of Christianity yeah. is about. Well, especially when an argument is like, well, he was infant baptized in a church. It's like, okay. Um, there's, there's a lot of things where it becomes slippery as you start applying it. So I think fallacies can seem very, very neat and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to realize, especially with informal fallacies, they're more interesting, but they're also weaker because they are, they start introducing more interpretive loose ends. Mm-hmm. So what really makes something a straw man mm-hmm. and what makes something an act, you know, like I've heard people say, you're making a straw man of this. And it's like, no, you this is what, this is literally what you said, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, um, are things of that nature. So I think I would, I would want to say be, don't be philosophy, uh, philosophy man, fallacy man, mm-hmm. where it's like everything anyone says is like, did you know? Yeah. Blah, 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 well, blah, blah, it's blah. almost like when you're playing a game with somebody and you mm-hmm. get, you get close. Like, I know you probably don't pick, play a lot of pickup basketball, but mm-hmm. I don't either anymore. But when you're playing pickup basketball and someone's constantly calling fouls all the time, Mm -hmm. because usually you say, you know, call your own fouls, people just start rolling their eye at that person eventually because it's like, well, let us play. Like, let us play. We're here to play basketball. You're like, every time someone touches you, you call a foul. It's ruining the game. Mm -hmm. And so always kind of, you know, it's the person who's always appealing to the rules rather than to the spirit. Of what you're trying to do. If you're having an argument or a disagreement or a discussion and someone's like, well, this rule and that rule and this rule and that rule. Well, maybe sometimes you should be appealing to like, hey, that's what this is called. That's what this is called. Mm -hmm. But but it doesn't help you most of the time, either rhetorically or functionally in the activity that's taking place. Yeah. And I would say like just to transition to a final kind of takeaway thing. I have a few pieces of advice for people who actually want to have real conversations, real debates, real arguments. And I think you can probably supplement um, as I, as I do. Number one, um, as someone who is writing a dissertation right now and has been in PhD seminars where things get very heated, uh, where we're having actual serious discussions that evidence has to be presented for, I would say one of the one of the first things I've learned, and this comes from sort of from my Christian background as well, is the first thing that I need to do if I want to have good arguments and not fallacious arguments, if I want to have good discussions, solid discussions, meaningful discussions, rather than just yelling and shouting. The first thing that I have to do is actually listen to my partner in conversation or in debate, actually listening, like trying to figure out where they're coming from, what they're saying, rather than trying to, from the outset, prove them wrong with everything they're saying. It's, you know, you and I talk about it a lot as the philosophical principle of charity. 
mm-hmm. actually take seriously that they may have an argument that I need to address itself. Yeah. That's the first step. The second step is to be disciplined, to discipline myself to, and this is connected to the listening, but to discipline myself to take their argument on its own terms and my, and, and at the outset, try to address their argument as stated rather than try to shift or change or bring some other point in or to try to point out how absurd their argument is like to actually address their argument on its merits rather than trying to use any kind of tricks or logical uh, maneuvers. Um, that, that would be the next thing that I would say. And the third thing that I would say is carefully define your terms, because as you and I have pointed out before, most social debates, political debates, religious debates, philosophical debates, people are talking past each other. Um, yeah. People are talking past each other. They're not using the same definitions. They're not even talking about the same thing. And it's a very undisciplined conversation that kind of jumps around. And to talk about how you're talking, to talk about, to have a meta conversation about the rules and agreeing on the rules and agreeing on the definitions can really eliminate a lot of that. What are your takeaways? I, th- I mean, honestly, you summed up. I, I kind of had this. It's just really weird. I kind of had this weird, uh, like. I'm going to talk about what it means to be a good debate partner. And you kind of like stole it from me. So maybe we should do some more prep talk in the future. Just (laughs) FYI. Um, But everything that you said, I think so many of these fallacies can be avoided by simple virtues. You know, Mm -hmm. the virtue of charity. Like if you're being charitable, you're not going to be like, well, I'm going to try to use every trick in the book to shut you down from even talking. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're being humble, you're not going to succumb to circular reasoning. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things that can make arguments bad, and those things tend to be what make people bad, too. Yeah. So I think, and that's not just saying, you know, bad arguers are bad people. I don't necessarily No, but I think it's, it's, help, it's helpful to yeah. point out that a lot of our flaws as humans enter Mm -hmm. into our conversation and into our arguments. I think that's, and, and, and being a virtuous speaker, like the virtue of speech and the virtue of debate, Mm -hmm. I think is a really good point. I think so too. So I'm glad we figured out that out. Um, So next time you're on the internet, um, and just the other, don't. Yeah, just don't. The other thing I would say is, you know, along the lines of disciplining yourself is, there was a time that I took a really long break from talking to people on the internet about things. Like I was mostly off of Facebook for a couple of years, just really light presence. Um, because for me, I didn't like the person that I was. This this kind of points to your virtue conversation. I didn't like mm-hmm. the person that I was in conversation, in, in debate, in argument online, because I, I wasn't in control of myself. Honestly, I would get so angry about it and I would get so sort of into being right. And that's not the kind of person I want to be in my normal life. So why would I be want to be that kind of person on the internet or in an argument? I wouldn't, you know, I, I didn't like the person that I was and I didn't like how I thought about other people. I was thinking about everybody as my enemy all the time. Yeah. And, and I like think it's a giant competition. Or something. Yeah. The competition overtook the search for truth. You know, winning was more important than discovering what reality was. And uh, it took me a while and basically most of a PhD program to kind of come back. And now, I mean, I've said a lot of controversial things, I think, online in the last few months about Donald Trump. Um, Maybe not controversial. Well, yeah, he's controversial. But um, a little, a little. But I haven't gotten sucked into any kind of, you know, these weird 63 reply conversation back and forths where people are just being passive aggressive and telling each other to have a nice day, but they really mean F you, you know, and all this stuff. Like I haven't gotten sucked into any of these because there's a discipline that's developed through actual argument, debate and conversation. And I think having disciplined debate just keeps you from falling into these kinds of messy um, fallacious debates. And it's actually been really refreshing over the last few months to, to realize that I don't have to get into those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Like I said, just don't. Yeah. Just don't. Cause you'll feel like crap and they'll feel like crap. Yeah. And then no one, and then people will leave and say, well, we just shouldn't talk about serious things ever because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it always ends like this, which is awful. Yeah. It's okay to go to bed at night knowing that there are people who are wrong on the internet. 
It is. It's okay. Okay, Ryan. Okay. What are we going to talk about next week? You got to decide. I'm gonna. I'm gonna decide right now. I'm going to decide okay. that next week we will talk about the electoral college. Wow. We're going to talk about it. Well, and in general, I want us to talk about um, how we don't live in a pure democracy. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll call it something like Republic. Uh, and I want to talk about how like things, and I know that's a little bit more political than philosophical, but obviously politics and philosophy are interrelated. But we might be looking at a really weird scenario this election. I mean, this has been the weirdest election of our lifetimes. But if Trump and Clinton are the two nominees and then you introduce a third person in like a Mitt Romney or someone or a Bloomberg or whoever who can win a couple big states, we might actually for the first time uh, in, a, in a long, long time, maybe ever, I can't remember all of American history, we might be in a situation where the election is thrown to the House of Representatives because of the way that the Electoral College works. And I wanted to talk about a few of the things philosophically why the people who founded our country and our constitution made it so that we're not a direct democracy, because I think sometimes um, people are under the impression that we are a direct democracy. And so I was thinking maybe that that would be helpful to talk about. Yeah. Some of the weird things, some of the weird things like how there used to not be direct election of senators. Oops. So yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll come up with a, with a snappy title, either Republic or, or, against democracy or something inflammatory so people will listen to it hopefully that's what i was thinking cool well i'm glad we could decide on that uh but for this week i know that our time is up and this has been ryan and nick and you'll hear from us next week Bye. bye